Hello, hello, and welcome to the James Kennedy Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I hope you've all had a good week. How are you doing? Today, I'm going to be speaking with Stella Assange, wife and lawyer to Julian Assange, and we'll be getting the lowdown on where things are at right now with Julian's battle against extradition to the US and his current state of health as he still languishes in Belmarsh Prison. A high-security hellhole populated by terrorists, rapists, and serial killers, all for the crime of being a journalist and a damn fine one at that. That's right. In Britain, 2023, we are now imprisoning journalists. That's what we're doing now. If anyone needs a reminder before we get into the conversation, back in 2010, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks published, among other things, the collateral murder videos, which showed footage of US soldiers firing on and killing unarmed civilians in Iraq. This was journalism as it's meant to be. Brave, uncompromising, and giving the public the truth about what our governments are doing in our name. And for that crime, Julian has spent the last 10 years of his life in either house arrest, living inside the Ecuadorian embassy, where he lived for seven years without being able to leave, to now, living as a class A criminal in Belmarsh fucking prison, with the constant threat of being extradited to the US, whereupon he had been imprisoned for a further 175 years. What the fuck is going on? A journalist. If we're going to maintain any pretense that we live in a democracy and have a press that is free to report on our government's actions, then Julian Assange needs to be set free and set free right now. So long as this continues, truth, democracy and freedom of the press is a lie. And as far as I'm concerned, Julian Assange is a hero and all of us have a duty to see him walk a free man. I'm not going to be asking Stella anything to do with the backstory to Julian's situation. She's answered those questions a million times already. But we will be getting the lowdown on where things are at right now, the road ahead, and what all of us can do to help. But before we welcome Stella, I'd like to remind you all to subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to hear more conversations like this. There are some amazing guests lined up, and it would really help me to keep this thing going. So click that button and help brother out. But now, we are absolutely privileged to be joined today by Stella Assange. Stella has been fighting this battle now for so many years, and her relentless energy, strength, and resilience is really something to behold. Stella, it's an absolute honor to speak with you today. Thanks so much for doing this, and welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. No, it's a privilege, honestly. I mean, before we get started, I just want to check in and ask, how are you doing? Because I just can't imagine the toll that this is taking on you and the family personally. So, you know, before we get started, you know, how, how are you holding up? I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, a day like today is quite, quite a busy one. And, uh, I do feel sometimes like I need to take a break, <clears throat> but, uh, really it's nothing compared to what Julian's going through. So I just want to get him out. Yeah. 100%. I totally understand. And, and how, how is Julian doing? I mean, what's the latest on his, um, his condition, what mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, what, what is his current state like and what condition is he currently living in? Well, he's been in Belmarsh high security prison for almost four years. It will be four years in April and, you know, four years is a long time and four years we've had, periods that have been very dark um where he was in uh in the health wing of the prison because of the suicide risk right um and then during lockdown i spent six months where i couldn't see him in person um and in fact he couldn't see anyone at all apart from uh the fellow prisoners and and uh the prison guards he couldn't see me or the children or his lawyers or anyone. Um, and then there are periods like the Christmas period where it's quite an isolating period for, for Julian because, uh, because the prison is closed right. during three days um, because it's short of staff, uh, which means there's less time out of cell and this kind of thing. So it's, it's generally quite a difficult period um, around the the christmas um holidays yeah. uh and obviously being locked up uh in a prison cell he's he's deteriorating over time that being imprisoned will will kill you ultimately and it shortens your life uh so you know he needs he needs to be free um yeah 
Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, there's there's nothing anyone can say to make this any better. Uh, he just needs to be free now. Um, I mean, my heart breaks for you guys. I mean, for someone like myself, and I'm guessing most people listening, you know, Julian is a hero, you know, but he's also a husband and a father as well. So I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the toll this has taken upon you personally over all these years. Um, as I mentioned at the start, I'm not going to be asking you anything to do with the backstory. Um, to Julian's situation because, you know, you, you've been through that so many times. I'd prefer to focus, and I think it'd be more relevant to focus instead on where we are as of today. What's the latest status with Julian's case and what's the current state of play? Well, uh, on the legal front, it's basically the UK government has approved the extradition order. Um it was Pretty Patel who actually signed the the extradition uh, approval, and the way the system works here in the UK uh, is the you can appeal the decision of the Home Secretary to to agree with the order, and you can separately appeal um, the ruling. So actually, Julian is now currently appealing both against the Home Secretary and against. Um, the lower court ruling, which uh, has um, allowed the extradition. And the high court is currently considering the application. So what Julian has done is um, seek leave to appeal. There is no automatic right to appeal. uh, And the high court can refuse uh, to hear an appeal and if it refuses, then then basically that's the end of the road, end of the road for Julian. Right. Uh, but if it agrees to hear an appeal, then it can pick and choose the grounds uh, of the appeal. Okay. So we're now waiting to hear whether there will be an, an appeal, and if there is an appeal, on what grounds. And this leaves Julian in a complete state of uncertainty right yeah i mean he could be in a position of being extradited within 10 days or um you know be on a um, months and months um looking at months and months of appeals ahead with the high court and potentially the supreme court and so on um so it's it's uh it's really quite difficult to explain how how uh how disorienting it is to have this constant uncertainty hanging yeah. over your head. Yeah. Um, he's, his imprisonment is really truly indefinite and it could end tomorrow or it could, uh, it would, it could continue for, for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Uh, so that's the constant uh, pressure and the constant uh, impossibility to really, um, plan anything other than to fight so essentially we're still just as much in the dark as ever you know i mean this has been this this battle has been going on for like over 10 years already right well since since the publications which were in uh 2010 um the first publication was april 2010 uh and the the last publication was march 2011 so that's that's what it concerns and julian yeah. hasn't been a free man since the 7th of december 2010 and the excuses for his um his deprivation of liberty have been uh, different over time but they've been uh increasingly um restrictive over time so it started off uh that he was under house arrest yeah. and it was very restrictive house arrest and then he was in the embassy, and then even when the UN said that the U- UK should let him walk free, uh, that was ignored. Um, and then he was arrested and put in Belmarsh Prison. And then if he's extradited, he will be placed in extreme isolation and solitary confinement. So it's just, to understand Julian's case, you really need to look at the the the, the treatment rather than the uh, formal description of the of the status, right? So Julian, for example, Julian is on remand, um, and that sounds quite innocuous. 
Um, he's a prisoner on remand. He's in, in on remand in custody. Uh, in reality, what that means is that he's in the highest security prison in the United Kingdom, and he is treated exactly the same as uh, convicted murderers. Yeah. Because in that prison, uh, and it is, it is kind of the way efficiency works in prisons uh, when you're managing 800 prisoners and you have people there who are there for grave crimes and then other people who are there um, on remand, unconvicted, um, you know, who might be released uh, or found innocent or whatever. It's just easier if you treat everyone like the convicted murderer. Right. Because it's if you start treating people differently, then that takes a, a too much of a toll on the on the prison system and the prison system is under resourced of course yeah and so they just treat everyone like um they are uh, a convicted um uh, you know violent yeah um criminal oh man so what do you think it what is the agenda at this point then you know i mean we're three administrations away from when this started so what's the interest here you know for for the um for the u.s administration as well as others i mean is it simply a matter of making an example of julian and sending a message to other aspiring you know potential future julian assange's and wikileaks or is it now a matter of um, saving face because this has been going on a long time it is such a high profile case is it a matter of if the u.s admits defeat now then that is obviously, you know, potentially embarrassing for them. And also it could potentially open up the floodgates to a whole host of claims of massive foul play on behalf of a whole cross-section of the political and legal machinery. Is it that? Or is there something else happening? Well, it's several things, right? I mean, to understand how we've got here, you need to need to kind of take apart the the administration into... Uh, its components, right? Inside the Department of Justice, for example, um, you have career prosecutors who are just kind of advancing their career. This is a, a high-profile case, right? Um, and and they're under the Trump administration. There was a decision to charge Julian. Um, the Obama administration decided not to uh, to prosecute Julian over the Manning leaks. The Trump administration. Uh, decided to do so, and then so within the DOJ, the Department of Justice, you have these career prosecutors who are happy to take on a big case and make a name for themselves, and then eventually, you know, uh, start their own um, law firm or whatever, and right. and um, have this on their CV. So the DOJ has its own dynamic. Really, this is a a, a case that is. Um, determined by um, bigger political um, dynamics. So <clears throat> there's definitely a component here which is driven by the intelligence agency uh, agencies, um, which is to uh, discourage, um, on the one hand, whistleblowers from from going to journalists and on the other journalists from publishing. So basically the case against Julian treats uh, sources and, and the, the publisher, the vehicle through which the source uh, reaches uh, the public um, as the same. And historically there has always been a separation whereby the, the publisher, the press is protected. Um, right as long as they're not uh, publishing false information, as long as the information is of relevance and importance, um, then they are protected, regardless of whether that information was obtained um, illegally by the source. So there's kind of a a, a layer of protection. That's what we call press freedom. Now, when you treat the source and the and the um, publisher or the reporter as conspirators, as um, uh, companions in the crime, then uh, 
then you you do away entirely with with that layer of protection and it doesn't exist and so there is no press freedom and what they're doing with julian is they're saying okay there is no layer of protection and we're doing this for the first time with assange we're going after him as equally culpable as this source and therefore um we can use this as a as a precedent against the rest of the press right um so it is definitely being used as a a means to chill um the press as a means to chill newsrooms and that's the explanation for why you have publications like the washington post or the new york times um long you know long very established uh newspapers who understand how they are affected by this case because the case uh grants the executive the discretion to be able to uh choose to go after the press when it is in their when they decide to do so when it is politically expedient to do so and what that means is that it's uh there is there is a new uh standard whereby uh the executive basically uh, assumes the role of of editor in chief of the entire press right and decides what can be published um and what under under penalty of of prison and of course the effect of this on the press is uh no journalist you know except um uh, you know you know no one is going to engage in journalism if they might end up in prison yeah. like journalists it's the job is hard on it you know in and of itself but if you're going to lo- lose your livelihood and your freedom over you know trying to to report the truth and expose corruption and illegality then uh, you might decide to do not to do that because you know you have a family or or yeah. you have a mortgage or yeah. or you like your freedom um or you can't fight a case like you know Julian is a high profile publisher he's a high profile journalist and he's uh he's he has a campaign and he has a lot of people um backing him and um if you're just a a regular reporter trying to you know do your job and you don't have the kind of um yeah. profile that Julian does then you have you stand no chance at all so the fa- the fact is that this case is is serves as a means uh through which um you know that the government can keep uh concealing its um its its uh its crimes, its cover-ups, um, its corruption scandals, and so on, um, and it chills the press. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, and then, I mean, there there are also forces within the administration that are totally opposed to this. I mean, this is this is an extremely controversial case. It has always been a controversial case. That's why Obama. Um, commuted Chelsea Manning's sentence and decided not to prosecute Julian, um, even though there was a lot of harassment. It was extra-legal harassment, banking blockades, PayPal, right. etc. Yeah. Um, but there were no charges. And, um, and it was controversial under the Trump administration. And it is controversial under the Biden administration yeah. as well. Um, so that's why, you know, that it's not like this is a... It's not like the US government is a monolith on this case there's there's a lot of um controversy uh and for example the new york times and and the guardian and uh der spiegel le monde and al pais put out a joint statement um signed by um by the publishers um saying that this case is is has to be dropped and that it's an attack on press freedom and that's you know that's not that's not a a minor thing that's a that's a big deal uh so there are different forces at play that's what i'm 
trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, and there are strong forces that are trying to keep Julian in prison um, and that have been, you know, trying to affect um, the his his public image and his reputation and so on. And there, there are also um, forces that are against. And so it's kind of like right. an ongoing battle. Yeah, I suppose that explains why there is such a collusion between so many different nation states to actually conspire and work together on, on, on keeping Julian behind bars, because it sends a message out to their press. Don't challenge us or this is what will happen to you. But where does the Australian government stand on this now, as of today? Because, I mean, Julian is an Australian citizen. I mean, you know, what, what's their current position on this? Well, for years and years, they did nothing. And they, in fact, basically facilitated his persecution. In, um, in 2010, I think it was, or early 2011, uh, the then Australian Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, publicly said that Australia was going to cancel his passport um, just in the middle of, of these publications, simply because uh, maybe it would facilitate um, the U.S. Uh, stopping Julian in his tracks. Um, and then apparently, I think this was through diplomatic cables, it came out that the U.S. said, no, don't cancel it because it's useful for us to know where he is. Um, right. And I mean, that that's I mean, I know the UK has has done that with um, in in cases of accused terrorists. Uh, but that's just a sign of how how far things have gone over the past 12 years. Um, they didn't cancel his passport, but they also made Australia at the, around the same time, the same prime minister said um, that Julian had broken the law. And then you had the Australian federal police investigate and said, actually, he hasn't broken any Australian law. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there was, uh, you know, a, a, a complete um, uh, uh, lockstep between the Australian government and the US government for many, many years. And in fact, the previous, right. the previous prime minister, Scott Morrison, um, was very close, it turns out, to Mike Pompeo, uh, right. who was CIA director and then um, uh, Secretary of State. And while he was CIA director, he had ordered plans to assassinate Julian. And so this person, the Australian Prime Minister, was was having, uh, I think, weekly phone calls with Mike Pompeo, um, the Australian um, um, High Commissioner here in London, uh, used to be uh, the head of the Australian um, equivalent of the um, CIA or one of the intelligence agencies and would show off his CIA cufflinks. Like he would go to the Australian uh, um, parliament wearing CIA cufflinks. And there's even a picture of him sitting at his desk while he was high commissioner here in London wearing his CIA cufflinks cufflinks you know in in like an approved Crazy. official photo so that guy you know while the cia was plotting to assassinate julian um so of course uh julian has has um for many years uh received um no support from the australian government in reality and in fact um for a while, you know, um, anyway, um, so the, the change has come with the new administration. So there's a new prime minister as of last year, um, Anthony Albanese. And while he was running um, from opposition, he was saying uh, that enough is enough, that Julian should be released, um, that he doesn't understand um, what could possibly be served by, by keeping Julian in prison. Etc. And these were, um, you know, uh, very significant statements that were, in fact, in uh, consonance with the mood in Australia, because polls show that in Australia, over 70 percent of the population want Julian Freed and back home. Yeah. Um, you know, overwhelmingly, the Australian population is aware and absolutely on side um, and so this is reflected in the in the politicians who are elected in Australia. Um, uh, many of 
many of the new parliamentarians ran on a free Assange uh, ticket among one of the their campaigning priorities. And so Albanese, once he became prime minister, um, he has he has kept his position, which is uh, you know very very positive. Um, both he and the attorney general have made um, um, clear that this is the position of the administration, that Julian should be freed. Um, initially, they said uh, that the, uh, the prime minister said that he was not going to conduct uh, diplomacy through a loud hailer um, and that his position hadn't changed. But since late November, uh, the prime minister has actually been more outspoken and uh, said explicitly that he has um, brought Julian's case up with um, the the U.S. Um, sorry. Okay, and we're back. Um, well, there's a little bit of hope to be gleaned from the stance of the current Australian administration then, I think. Um and who, what other allies are there in this power play? Because, you know, you've, you've mentioned some of the very powerful interests working against Julian's interests at this point. But where are the allies that also have some form of significant political influence or power? I think there are allies within all of the administrations. I mean, I can't imagine that in the United Kingdom, um, the government current government is invested in this case i mean there obviously there are um you know there are factions again the the intelligence kind of community uh which is very influential of course um is wants to silence julian because they don't want leaks they don't want the press to um scrutinize um what they're doing you know these these are governments who have engaged in in um, you know, rendition and obtaining evidence from torture and complicity in torture and so on. Like they they don't want uh they don't want more exposure, right? Right. Uh but then for other parts of the government, this is a huge embarrassment. Like the Foreign Office constantly has to hear about the Assange case, you know, and, and they have to hear it from from um from countries that they are are uh, you know trying to influence about press freedom and human rights and so on, yeah. and that's very counterproductive. Um, the British justice system is a um, has lost a lot of credibility by entertaining this extradition case. So within the justice system, um, I, I've heard uh, you know. People I've spoken to saying, oh, I know this judge and they sit in, you know, judges who, who are saying this, this is, this is a, a problem, this case, right. because it, it's detrimental to, to the, um, you know, the public's faith in, in the fairness of the British justice system. Right. Um, so. So there are factions within. There, there are definitely factions and, but okay, there, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of support from, for example, Latin American governments. I mean, the the Colombian president, the president of Brazil, Lula, yep. um, president of Mexico, of Peru. Um, you know, these these are governments that have recently come out um, calling for Julian's release and saying that they will they will raise the case. And um, this is actually. Uh, after the editor-in-chief of WikiLeaks, Kristen Hrafson, and Joseph Farrell of WikiLeaks have been going um, to Latin American countries and, oh, sorry, and also Argentina, um, and, you know, to meet with presidents, and they are received by presidents. Um, you know, this is a high-profile, politically important issue. Yeah. Um, for Latin American countries. And I think Latin America as um, in general is the region that has most engaged with uh, the WikiLeaks publications and with the pers persecution of Julian. Um, and, you know, 
raised raised the uh, the case repeatedly throughout the years. Um, and then, you know, actually in Europe there is there is a, a lot of awareness because um, the case, of course, concerns uh, European interests. Um, there were several European publications involved in these very um, in the Manning leaks, uh, publishing alongside Julian and WikiLeaks, who could be prosecuted on exactly the same grounds. Um, and so, the basically the case against Julian is a is a is a way of of infringing um, the rights of journalists in Europe of of puncturing um, the the European jurisdiction um, and applying foreign laws within within the European space. And so Julian was actually shortlisted as a as a finalist uh, of the Sakharov Prize. Yep. The Sakharov Prize, of course, is the European Union's peak um, free, freedom of thought human rights prize. Yep. Um, and, and that's hugely significant, you know, um, there's this European Parliament who who decides who is nominated, who is shortlisted, um, and the European Parliament ultimately represents the totality of the European Union's citizenship. And so, for the European Parliament to consider Julian one of the peak three, um, uh, one of the three most important cases of human rights in the European Union for, for the year, um, that's hugely significant. Yeah. That means that the European Union thinks this case is of uh, enormous uh, significance yeah. and concerns European values and so on. Great, yeah. So, the, so there is some quite powerful support there then um, around the world. And as you mentioned, there are factions of support within the establishment as well. I mean, do you derive some hope from that? Well, it's clear that political support is building, public awareness is building, and then you have things like <clears throat> there are a couple of books out um, that really kind of uh, forensically deconstruct the persecution of, of Julian over the years. So one of them is a book by Niels Maltzer, who was the UN Special Rapporteur for Torture. Um, and he investigated Julian's case. And he's very interesting because, well, first of all, he's, he's like a, a world authority on, on torture and he's a international law, um, expert and so on. You know, he is, he is, um, he's exactly the type of profile of person who can really look at this situation, yep. look at the case, um, and analyze it. And, while he was UN Special Rapporteur on torture, uh, he received um, an application from Julian's lawyers asking him to look into the case. And he had been affected by all this propaganda um, about Julian. And he basically just initially um, didn't even read the file. Um and then he received a, a, a second request from, from Julian's lawyers. And then he thought, well, I really should look at this um, and do my due diligence, um, not with a view to opening an investigation, but right. because that's his role. And then as soon as he started looking into it, he realized um, not only how obvious uh, the persecution was, but also how he himself had been um, propagandized, yep. basically. That all these assumptions that he had were false and that all all he had to do was scratch the surface and this enormous um, miscarriage of justice, the most significant miscarriage of justice of our times in the West, and he puts it very strongly in his book, um, was obvious to see. And all you had to do was scratch the surface. But even he... Um, was initially um, averse to doing so. Right. And so he's very interesting as someone who is in the human rights community, who has exactly the skills and the knowledge to be able to um, see the case for what it was, but initially was 
was um, biased against Julian yeah. because of this concerted propaganda effort there had been against Julian to mischaracterize the case and his treatment and so on. Um, so anyway, that book I highly recommend. It's called The Trials of Julian Assange by Neil Smeltzer. And then the second book just came out in English, and it's by an Italian investigative journalist called Stefania Maurizzi. And she, she's, this book is really um, uh, well documented uh, because it is based on official documents. So since 2015, and still to this day, Stefania has been uh, filing uh, freedom of information requests to the relevant governments and even litigating. So she's in litigation with the UK government, with the Swedish government, the US government and the Australian government, trying to get more information. But what she's been able to uncover has been extraordinary. And so she documents what she's what she's been able to obtain from these official sources. Um, and it's it's very interesting, for example, that um, the uh, Crown Prosecution Service here in the UK um, destroyed thousands of emails um, between them and, and the Swedish authorities. Mm. And this was discovered because because she was doing filing these requests in both countries. Documents were appearing from the UK side um, that the UK hadn't disclosed, and they said, "Oh well, actually, they were they were destroyed." And there were thousands of emails, and then um, the the documents also revealed that there was a there was a, a similar effort in the on the Swedish end that documents have been destroyed, like an FBI request that came in. Terrible. They said they destroyed because right. it had nothing to do with the Swedish investigation. Yeah. So why would they keep it? And and so on. So anyway, it's very 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 interesting um, and forensic and you know um, hard documentation. Um, and that one's Stefania Maurizzi, uh, the secret power. Um, and then there's an there's a subtitle to the book, but that's that's a few that's been in English um, released a, a month ago or so. And that book has won. Um, I think three major investigative journalism awards in Italy. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give a shout out to both those books at the end of the episode and I'll link them into the description as well. So that anybody who wants to delve further into the backstory of Julian's case, you know, they, they sounds like they should definitely check those books out. I'm keeping an eye on the clock now because I know that you've got to go soon. Um, and before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is the road ahead now? What is the game plan for you guys, uh, from where we're at now? And if the worst should happen and Julian does get extradited to the US, what avenues are open to be pursued at that point? Well, we have to we have to use every avenue we can and, and we will fight um, as as hard as we possibly can. But what's clear is that this case is a political case. Right. And um, you know, when I get this question about where are we legally and so on, sometimes I just say, actually that's completely irrelevant. Um and it's actually a distraction. It's a right. distraction to expect that um, that the outcome will come from the courts. Right. And the, you know, basically Julian's freedom depends on whether civil society and the cultural community and the artistic community and the grassroots and the media and everyone can can get their act together and call for him to be freed. Uh, it's an enormous. Uh, this is an enormous attack on all our rights, on the public's right to know the truth, on the press rights, the the right of the press to to publish it, um, and on us as a society to be able to hold governments accountable. Um, and we're facing a new uh, paradigm whereby we, we lose all those rights. And, and that's Julian's case is, is part of a, a 
broader uh, process that has that has uh, taken place over the past 10, 15 years, in which we have actually 20 years, in which our rights have been eroded and um, and the democratic element of the society has been weakened enormously. On the one hand, you have the state, that is the surveillance state that has grown ever more powerful um, and more secretive and the balance between um, the state and, and its citizenry has, has shifted enormously. Um, and basically, as citizens, we are much weaker. Um, our, our ability to have oversight over the decisions that are taken by the government, and the relationship between government and, and um, corporations and social media companies that have basically um, uh, occupied our, our, our private lives yep. um, by, by um, basically middlemanning our communications. Yeah. Um, we just, we, we've just lost control. And at the same time, this attack on the press, um, whereby uh, news gathering can be a crime, even if it is exposing crime, yeah. it can itself uh, be described as a crime so that people will no longer do that anymore yeah. because the cost is too high, right? So it is a little bit um, the need to understand what Julian's case signifies more broadly right. and how how dangerous it is not not dangerous just because like it's dangerous now 100 it's not dangerous if, if he's extradited and convicted in, in the u.s under the espionage act no he's been charged under the espionage act the damage is being done right now yeah um the chilling effect is right now the the our right to know the truth as a citizenry is being um curtailed right now because the press is not doing its job because they're too afraid. That's why they're putting out these editorials. It's not in case Julian is convicted in, you know, in the United States. It is, they're not even going to risk it. They're not even going to wait. So Julian's, um, Julian's freedom is coupled to our freedoms. Um, and that's why the mobilization needs to happen now and not depend on some external forces right. or, yeah. you know, um, whether, I don't know, who comes into government right. or all these things. 100%. It's, 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 uh, it requires people to like demand, um, I think demand that Julian's case is talked about a lot more, you know, on every level. Uh, the problem, you know, the problem is that Julian's case has been treated like it's taboo for a long time. Yeah. And uh, you have all these very uh, mainstream organizations who have come out saying this is a grave threat to press freedom. His life is in danger. He is being politically persecuted. He is politically, uh, the, the case is politically motivated. Um, it is it is a dangerous uh, anti-democratic authoritarian move. Okay, so you have like Amnesty International and the Committee to Protect Journalists, and the New York Times, and the Guardian, and so on, are on the same page. Okay, so why is the case not talked more about? And I think it's because this this taboo right. aspect needs to be overcome, and that needs to be overcome by people breaking the silence yeah. and talking to each other about it, telling each other about it, reading the books, giving other people books, like signing up to the uh, Don't Extradite Assange newsletter, yeah. coming to our protests. We're doing a protest in London, um, a night car carnival followed by a um, 
by a, uh, a, a public meeting that I'm going to speak at on the 11th of February, which is a Saturday. And I encourage everyone to come to that and just be really engaged and on top of it. And like Julian's, a, you know, <laughs> Julian's a, he's a hero for what he's done, but he's also a human being and he deserves to be treated like a human being. And he has been treated inhumanely. Um, and how, how can anyone possibly defend having a publisher in a high security prison for four years and counting? Well, not four years and counting yet, but soon. Madness. Uh, yeah. He's not convicted of anything. He is being treated as if he were a criminal where all he's done is expose state crimes and and war crimes and embarrass governments and they've they've look the way i explain it to to my children is that their father is not in prison because he did something wrong but because he did something right yep. and that the people he embarrassed the bad people hold the keys to his prison cell right and that we're fighting a lot of people around the world are fighting to get him free. They're fighting the bad people to get Julian free. And uh, I think it's quite a useful exercise sometimes to think, how would I explain this to a four-year-old? Because in, a, in some ways, the public um, is confused by complexity, um, and but they understand the essentials. And I think when they see, when they just observe Okay, so the, Julian Assange, yeah, the U.S. wants him. He's not convicted in the U.K., but he's been in a U.K. prison for almost four years. Okay. And the worst prison in the U.K. Okay, that's strange. Well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. You know, and, and instinctively, people understand this. And, uh, and the case is just, uh, it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable for the U.K. courts to approve an extradition to the country that has plotted his assassination. Because yep. you can't possibly say that this is a fair system. Um, and that just needs to be uh, talked about all the time. How can, how can anyone possibly agree with that? Yeah, you know? We're living in a time when we need the likes of Julian Assange now more than ever. And it's time now for Julian to walk free. Um, you've already answered my, my last question, which is what can people do to help? So you've mentioned the website there, which I'll link into the description. What, whatever platform you're listening to this on, you'll be able to get the, the direct link, but the, the URL is don'textraditeassange.com. There's a ton of resources and things you can get involved in on there. There's fundraisers as well that you can contribute to the legal costs. Um, there's details about upcoming actions and resources and things you can print and all sorts of cool things. Uh, the web website is essentially a hub for everything that you can do to start getting involved in this um put in your diary as well if you can get to london on the, the 11th of feb the 11th of feb put that in your diary because as stella mentioned there will be a big event that she'll be speaking at there as well and if you want to follow stella's twitter page personally and i recommend that you do to stay updated on things it is at stella underscore assange Stella, I'm going to let you get away now a little bit ahead of time because I know how busy you are and I, I really can't thank you enough for stopping by and speaking with me today. Thank you for everything you've done over the past God knows how many years now for shouldering this cause. I respect and admire your relentless energy and um, fight and resilience and strength. I wish you nothing but the best and hopefully if we speak again, it will be to celebrate Julian Assange finally being free. Stella, thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Stella. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Oh, man. What a story that is. You know what I mean? Jesus Christ. What age are we living in, man? You know, it's, it's mad to me. It just blows my mind. Like, I, I, the thing is, you become desensitized to it, especially when you're not in the direct orbit of the person that's directly involved, like Stella is with Julian. Because, you know, we've all been following this case. And I remember, you know, when Julian was under house arrest and I used to watch the live streams and stuff that he did from there in the interviews and he was still very much active as he was throughout his time with the Ecuadorian embassy. I mean, this has been going on so long now. You kind of, it, it does become a kind of just normal. You know what I mean? But, you know, enough is enough now. And, and as Stella said, you know, this is a precedent. This isn't just literally about one man. This is about what this means for freedom of the press, 
journalism, truth, democracy, everything, the whole thing. This, this really is a litmus test now for what kind of world we live in and what kind of world are we moving into. It doesn't matter whether you agree with Julian's politics or whether you have doubts about whether he should or should not have done some of the things he's done with WikiLeaks. But if you care about democracy and you care about freedom of speech and freedom of the press and the sanctity of journalism, then you need to support freeing Julian Assange and not extraditing Julian Assange to the US. He hasn't been convicted with anything. Why is he in jail? Why is he in Belmarsh prison? This is madness. So do go and check out don'textraditeassange.com. There is tons of information on there and things that you can get involved with. Um, do put 11th of Feb in your diary. If you're in the UK and you're local to London, you can get there for the Saturday, then please do come along. And the two books I'm going to give a shout out to that um, Stella mentioned there is The Trial of Julian Assange by Nils Melzer and Secret Power by Stefania Morizzi. If you really want to delve in to this crazy, crazy backstory and just see how corrupt and fraudulent this whole thing has been from the start, I recommend Stella does checking out those books. But one of the points Stella made that resonated with me the strongest was when she said this isn't necessarily a legal battle. This is a political battle and more importantly, a cultural battle. This is about the narrative. This is a war of narrative. And in that war, all of us can play a part. So as Stella said, talk about this, amplify this, get involved. We need a resurgence of, of activity on this issue because, you know, any day now, Julian could be extradited. If you're an influencer, use your platform to shout about this or just tell your friends and family about it and get them involved. Get involved in the website and, and if you can spare some pennies, I know we're all, you know, struggling at the moment, but if you can spare some contributions to the donations page and help to contribute towards the legal costs, that would be massive. And just, you know, help to normalize and amplify this issue. As always, write to your MP, find out where they're at on this issue and pressure them and let them know how you feel about it. And let's raise the heat on this again, because Julian is a hero. And if a precedent needs to be set, it needs to be a precedent that heroes who do brave, courageous work that is in all of our interests need to be celebrated, not in prison. So get involved, man. Let's do this. Thanks again for listening. I, hope, I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I know I did. And do subscribe to the podcast. I know I say this every week, but people constantly tell me they missed episodes. So just click the button, man. It's not difficult to do. You know, subscribe to the podcast. There's awesome guests coming up every week. Got some bangers coming up from next week as well. So, um, and give me a rating. Leave your comments. If you listen to this on YouTube, I know some people do choose to listen to it there. If you listen to it on YouTube, leave a comment and let's get a conversation going and share some ideas and things like that. Um, but if you listen to it on the other platforms, platforms like apple or spotify or whatever else you know then uh, leave me a rating give me a thumbs up you know give me a follow whatever you gotta do you know and then uh, you know keep a little welsh boy happy thanks again for listening thanks again to stella for coming on and giving us her time and i will see you next week with another episode in the meantime free julian assange